As Jesus traveled his journey to Jerusalem, we find that he faced many challenges along the way. And throughout this season of Lent, we are learning from his challenges, of the challenges of life we should expect, and how we can face them faithfully. We find that along the way, we see many people with unholy expectations of what life's supposed to be and how Jesus is supposed to to act. I'm reminded of unrealistic expectations when I recently heard a a replay of a commencement speech uh, given by the comedian Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien, he of the tall red hair, uh, shared uh, that he went to Harvard for his undergraduate degree. Uh, And there at Harvard, he said five of his classmates, five of the guys he lived in the dorm with from his particular graduating class, told him privately that their goal was to be president of the United States. And he began to calculate this and to think about the odds of five of them, even though we all know there is an unholy pipeline from Ivy League schools to the presidency that hopefully will be disrupted. I would love to see a University of Tennessee graduate as president one day. Uh, But he knew that even though they were at a school that gave them every advantage to get into that pipeline, there was no way those five guys were all going to have the chance to become president of the United States. And then he concluded, I assume uh, in a hypocritical way, but but it could be in a truthful way, uh, that it turns out the only thing they all had in common was they all eventually got arrested for something they shouldn't have been doing. (laughs) But the point he was making to the students that day who were graduating was that what will define your life is not what your expectations are. Everyone has great and often rather similar expectations when you break them down. It's what you will do when your expectations don't come true, when you realize life's not going to work out that way. In the Christian faith, we believe uh, that, in fact, we often begin with our expectations and that the path of discipleship is the path of taking upon ourselves God's calling and God's expectations. One of the best ways we can help ourselves do this each day is to be in the Bible, uh, be praying and reading our Bibles each day. If you haven't already found a way to do so, we encourage you to join our Grow Through the Bible reading plan. It gives you a scripture for each day. You can find those at the information station or at concordunited.org slash Bible. If you go to the website, concordunited.org slash Bible, you can also find there uh, the chance to access a daily devotion, either in email or podcast form, that will help you go deeper into that day's scripture and also give you a focus for your prayers that day. These unholy expectations we find in life uh, can uh, turn us into cynical people when we either pursue them Uh, and find that we can achieve them, but they don't bring the fulfillment we thought they'd bring, or we spend our lives pursuing them only to find they are out of reach. It seems uh, that our culture has certain expectations of certain ones of us that it doesn't have for others. Uh, When our children were young, one of the things we always tried to do, we have three children, they're, they're each three years apart, and we always tried to plan our family weekly schedule around one of us being able to go to the grocery store without the children. Uh, because if you've ever been to the grocery store uh, with a, five, you know, a, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-month-old, uh, you know it presents some unique challenges. They're not going to stay silent that whole time. 
Uh, they're going to have opinions that they share about what you should be putting in your cart uh, and about how each other are acting and what each other said to them. Uh, they, uh, if you have like the six-month-old, you may have to keep them in the car seat. And so you have to put this huge car seat uh, in your cart and you're, you're buying for five people. And eventually when you get through the line, you can't even see your six-month-old because they're covered up by macaroni and cheese and yogurt. Right, And as you're digging through, you're like, okay, I've still got the child. This is good. Well, when my wife would take the children to the grocery store, when we couldn't work it out any other way to do the grocery shopping for that week, if they made any noise at all, she reported that she received death stares from those around her. As if you as a mother, you are supposed to be able to keep your children perfectly behaved Every moment you are in public, in several instances, there were even uh, concerned shoppers in the checkout line with her who made comments to her about how she could keep her children more quiet so they could have a more placid shopping experience as, as they were checking out. And I want to tell you that because I'm married to a kind woman, a gracious woman, a wise woman and a measured woman, even though she's a double black belt in Taekwondo, she allowed those shoppers to leave with their lives. <laughs> to complete their shopping experience unharmed. Now, when I would go to the grocery store with three young children, they were no doubt as loud or significantly louder than they were when she would take them. But I would get these looks like, look at that dad. He's doing so good. He's trying so hard. That's a good man. And I would come home and I would report to her how I was treated. And then I would look at her and say, you know, don't feel bad. I'm just naturally very nurturing. And because she is a kind and gracious and measured woman, she allowed me to depart with my life. But those unholy expectations, they can drive us crazy, can't they? Not only can they drive us crazy, they can drive us into depression and despair. What we find is that unholy expectations make roles into rule, rules, goals into gods, opinions into facts, and defeats into disasters. And if you've been there where uh, you've made some role that you thought you were supposed to live into, into a rule, and uh, you don't think you can be happy until you can, uh, it may be that you can't. If you've made goals into gods and decide if this goal doesn't come true, uh, that you just aren't worthy, well, it may be that you're not going to find worth until you change that opinion. But if, if you've had opinions in this life, particularly opinions others have of you that you've allowed to define you as facts. Uh, friends, it's hard to live God's truth. And if you believe every time you're defeated that it's a disaster, friends, you're going to stay defeated a long time. We find those who struggled with expectations uh, within Luke's gospel, within Luke's telling of Jesus and how Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And knew that he needed to walk that journey to the holy city and to the cross, ultimately to the empty tomb. 
In, in fact, right after he set, right before he sets his face towards Jerusalem, he predicts his death. And many can't understand this, and they argue against him. They say, no, Jesus, this is an unholy expectation, but it's actually a holy one. No one can understand it. And then shortly thereafter, he goes to the home of some of his friends, uh, of Martha and Mary, and I want to read to you what happens there. This is from Luke 10, beginning with verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. And we need to understand some of the uh, cultural expectations and the cultural language uh, of this day. We're told that, that Mary was preparing things and she was preparing a meal, and uh, that's certainly a, a wonderful thing to do. But Martha was preparing the meal. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. Uh, now, that phrase, sitting at Jesus' feet, is the phrase that is used. This isn't like, you know, she's in the living room having a cup of coffee with Jesus. Uh, this is when you sit at someone's feet, uh, you are taking in their teachings. And so what we can imagine was happening is that Jesus was teaching and probably teaching disciples, and she takes the posture of a disciple. In a room that may well have been filled with, uh, with other men listening to what Jesus was saying, she sits at Jesus' feet uh, to learn just like the men are learning and not to stay preparing the food as was expected of her as a woman in that culture. She was taking the posture of a disciple, and no Jewish rabbi had female disciples in that day except Jesus. And Martha can't believe it. Martha, Martha's stunned. Martha feels left alone to prepare everything. And Jesus says there's a time and place for preparation, but right now you have my teachings with you. And Mary had the courage to know to somewhere deep within her know that she too was called to be a disciple to sit at jesus feet and to to learn and not feel that her gender disqualified her from that i can't tell you the number of times uh, that i have sat in my office and i have listened uh, to a woman come in and share her story her story that she is now feeling called to ministry called to preach, but she grew up in a church tradition that taught her that women couldn't be preachers, uh, that there were aspects of discipleship that were off limits to women. And sometimes I shudder at the decades of ministry lost before that woman had the confidence to come forward and to claim the truth that Mary claimed long ago, that she could be a full disciple in every role that's available to, to Jesus' disciples. And I shudder more to think that there are many women who are called to ministry who never on this earth answer that calling because of what they're taught in the churches they go to. These unholy expectations can literally pull God's call and God's, what, how God wants to bless us away from us. Mary gives us a great example of following the call of God 
even when it contradicts the expectations of our religion or our culture. And she's not the only one in this part of Luke's gospel as we, we journey to the cross uh, who d- discovers this. Uh, but what we find particularly here is that Martha mistook a role for one of God's rules. Mary allowed Jesus to redefine the rules and her role. There's nothing wrong with preparing food. Uh, There's nothing wrong with with loving to do that. Uh, There's nothing wrong in a household of having a division of labor where, uh, you know, one spouse is better at this, the other spouse is better at that. Uh, Some things we share, some things we don't. There are places where, you know, um, uh, you have your lane, I, I have my lane. Uh, I, I know this when, when I go to my, my mother or my mother-in-law's house. I know that if I'm helping in the kitchen, that that is their kitchen. And I'm working under their authority. And I don't do anything I don't have permission to do in that space. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we allow human roles uh, to become, in our minds, God's rules, uh, sometimes we rule ourselves out of the life that God desires for us. Now, we go on in Luke's gospel to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, what we find is Jesus encounters a crippled woman. And here's what happens. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey? From the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. He healed this woman on the Sabbath. The crowd rejoices, but the religious leaders, they're not in on the party. They're like, no, no, no. You, you broke a rule, right? Uh, they, they made this rule into something it never should have been. What we find here in this instance is that the religious leaders made the goal of Sabbath keeping into a God. But Jesus made it his goal to share God's love, right? The religious leaders made the goal of Sabbath keeping into a God, but Jesus made it his goal to share God's love regardless of what the expectation was. He knew the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, Surely healing was permitted on the Sabbath if that was the day that it it needed to be done. The religious leaders just, they couldn't couldn't accept it. Uh, they, they, They couldn't accept it at all. And so this goal became their God. Some of us really like goals. Some of us are type A people. And like, we know our goal for the week. We know our goal for the month. uh, We know our goal for the year. We we even have a five and a 10 year plan uh, for our lives. I remember one time I met a friend and he had a spreadsheet. And at the time he showed me this spreadsheet, 
he was 43 years old and he had a spreadsheet for exactly everything he wanted to accomplish in life from there until he was 63 years old. Uh, and I asked him because he looked like a fairly well-adjusted person, regardless of his spreadsheet. I said, how do you live like this? And he said, well, I know something. I know none of that's going to work out the way it is on the spreadsheet. But I know if I have a direction, God can help me course direct. But if I don't have a direction, I, I just feel lost. Some of us have trouble allowing God to let us course correct when the goals don't work out exactly the way we want them to work out. Don't ever make a goal into a God, but make it your goal to share God's love like Jesus did. And then finally, uh, we, we learn about another expectation of the culture in Luke's gospel, an unholy expectation uh, regarding a man named Zacchaeus, who you probably remember. This is in from Luke 19. And Jesus has journeyed, and he's getting closer to, to Jerusalem, and he's journeyed to Jericho on, on his way to Jerusalem. And here's what we find. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man there named Zacchaeus uh, was a, tax, a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, uh, what happened here is the crowds had already had an opinion of Zacchaeus. Uh, they had an opinion that he was beyond redemption, that he was beyond God's grace, of how not only had he become a tax collector uh, who was in cahoots with the Romans, but he'd become a chief tax collector. And he even admits that he had unfairly defrauded people of their hard-earned money. But Jesus sees him differently. Uh, the crowd believed their opinion of Zacchaeus to be a fact. Jesus proved the fact of the matter was that Zacchaeus was a child of God. He didn't allow others' opinions uh, to become facts, uh, but he showed us the fact was defined by God's opinion of us. Often in this life, probably more often uh, than we can be aware, uh, people will have stereotypes of us. And there will be people that no matter what you do, you will never, ever be justifiable. You will never, ever be good in their eyes simply because of who you are, how you look, and how you talk. And that's okay. They're just people. They're children of God too. And they're not beyond God's grace. They just struggle uh, with making their opinions and some of their unholy opinions into facts. It's what you do with that that will define you. And this, this happens for all of us. I'm aware I have a lot of privileges in our culture because I'm a, a white male. I also have been in some settings uh, where my white maleness was not well received by others. Uh, one of my friends who's a white male describes himself as having a resting rich face. He said, when you, 
Thank you. That was funny. Um, he says, when you look at me, uh, you just assume I'm rich, even if I'm driving a beat up Toyota. Uh, and he, he said, you know, when people complain about the man holding them down, I'm who they think about. Uh, even though I'm not in a high position in my company, I just happen to do my hair a certain way. Uh, I was at a conference one time and uh, this conference included keynote speeches and small group discussion. And it was told to me by those within my small groups and from the stage from the keynote speakers that white males talk too much and they took too much of a leadership role and that they hoped during this conference the white males in the room would uh, take a back seat and would listen. I attempted to do that. For two days, I primarily listened and occasionally asked questions, rarely interjected my opinion. And then at the end of the time, those of us in the small group together were able to share a little bit about our interactions with one another. And many of the people in the small group who had asked me to stay silent said that they were irritated that I didn't seem to engage enough with the material. <laughs> and I realized at that moment, I'm just going to be myself. I'm just, that's, that's all I can be is just, just myself. And I'll ask you to be yourself and we'll each have to deal with each other and, and God will be in the midst of that. There's a reason uh, why in our American history books about slavery, we find that there was religious theological demonizing of black people and why this spread so broadly through our society because it's the only way you can have slavery. It's the only way you can have oppression is if you convince ideologically, philosophically, theologically, the only way you can treat people different is if you demonize one people and convince the world that they should be treated differently. But actually, there's a more practical side to it also. Uh, the, the racist philosophy and theology of those days, it wasn't just to convince white people they should be allowed to have slaves. It was to convince black people they should be slaves, that they should remain slaves. Because if they were not convinced of that, there was no way that this system uh, was going to last very long. There will be people who, who want to convince you that you are second class, that you don't deserve what everybody else deserves, that you are less than others. Don't believe them. And there are people who will want to convince you that you're better than others, that you deserve to have them serve you and you deserve to be treated better than them. Don't, don't believe them either. Don't let a human opinion be turned in your mind to one of God's facts because God's fact is that we're all God's children. And then finally, one final thing we need to know. Jesus defied expectations by going to the cross. Everyone told him to turn away. Everyone told him to look out for himself, to defend himself. He, he wouldn't do it. He endured defeat. He endured rejection. But what, what we find there is that he did it for a purpose. He, he did it for a purpose. He didn't allow his defeat to become a disaster. It became a victory. In our lives, we're going to face defeat. But what, what we find there is that defeats only turn into disasters when we face them without the help of our master. Who are we to think we're going to get through life without defeat when our Savior didn't? We need to know it's coming, and we need to know how to handle it. Uh, a disaster 
occurs when we allow defeat to defeat us, right? That's what a disaster is, when we allow defeat to defeat us. And I hate the way in our sports culture we use the term undefeated. Undefeated often means never beaten. That's, that's not how that word should be used. Uh, undefeated tells, uh, I'm told by my sister who's an English professor, should actually mean you have been defeated, but you are no longer. You are now undefeated. We're going to be defeated in life. But what a disaster only occurs when we allow defeat to defeat us, when we allow it to define us, and we think there is nothing else left for us. The, friends, the cross proves that life will be full of defeats. The empty tomb proves that disaster is defeated. The cross proves that life will be full of defeats, but the empty tomb proves that disaster is defeated. There is nothing that can happen to you in this life that God can't redeem. There is no wound that God can't heal. Uh, there is no depth from which God cannot pull you up and find you and restore you. That is the message that Jesus came to share. That death has been defeated. That defeat has been defeated. And that you are a child of God. Let that define you. Well, thanks to Jesus, we can indeed be undefeated. We can't get through life without defeat. But we can find out what it is to live on the other side of it, uh, to be undefeated and to be victorious in God. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, as we prepare to come to your table, we find that you have defeated death on the cross and that you have defeated all the powers uh, that would strip our identity as your children from us, the only ones in this life who have the power to deny that identity are us. We can forfeit it, but it cannot be taken for, from us. Lord, be with us when the cultural expectations of our day tempt us to forfeit our identity as your children and help us to live not just as your children, but as your disciples who, like Mary, did so long ago, sit at your feet and learn your ways and live them out for the glory of your name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.